The reading this morning is from the Old Testament, from the second book of Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message, messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought you would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we pray this morning as we come to your word. May you open our hearts and our minds. May you allow us to be challenged to your voice. May we will send to your guiding. And that we will leave this place with a clear sense of vision and calling to change this world for you. In your holy name. Amen. Once again, it's, um, it's wonderful to be with you uh, this morning. And I owe a real a real debt of gratitude um, to Ian for 
organising all of this and uh, the great work that Ian and Pauline do for the Lepsi Mission and going out and speaking and the work that Jenny Mars does here and the church as well. We really are a Christian charity that's based on people hearing uh, that call, that challenge from God, of seeing that need, of having uh, their hearts somehow uh, prepared to be sort of um, meet with those who are suffering from leprosy, and then to go and to do something about it. I think with leprosy, one of the interesting things is it causes you to um, have to connect in with a part of God that sometimes is quite uncomfortable. There's a righteous anger that God has towards leprosy. As we uh, saw the statistics, as we saw, and, and, and Ian so, so wonderfully sort of told the story of, of the disease, we have to remind ourselves that this makes God angry. And the anger of God is something we're not necessarily very comfortable with. It's not the kind of the warm, loving, happy Jesus, best friend coming and giving us a hug side of God that we're much more in tune with. But that anger of God then causes passion. And passion then causes action. And action then means that lives are changed and transformed. And so this morning what I want to speak to you about uh, from our text in 2 Kings chapter 5, if this idea, what does it mean to be an agent of hope? It's my belief that the hope of the world is the local church. The individual small church, the local church, the community church, hearing that calling from God and responding to it in whatever way is particularly right for them. Both in changing their community right around them, but also changing the destinies, changing the physical realities of people that they will never meet. I was reminded we met in the chapel this morning and we were praying and um, God just sort of spoke to my spirit and uh, there's a wonderful part where Paul is writing to encourage the church and he reminds us that the church is this body. And it, you know, we know the scripture fairly well. He talks about, you know, if the hand said, you know, the foot, I don't need you, you know. And this, you know, we get this sense that we're all connected. But right at the very end, it's just this key uh, couple of lines. It says, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But when one part of the body is honoured, then we rejoice together. And it was just a beautiful sort of reminder on today, World Lexi Day, that, that the people that we're talking about, the situations are far from us. We're very, very unlikely to come into contact with somebody with Lexi. But because we are the body of Christ, and because we are somehow connected within this divine mystery, then we share in that suffering. But we also rejoice together when we hear lives transformed. And so our text this morning, 2 Kings chapter 5, it's a bit of a, a Sunday school classic. It's one of these texts that if you've grown up in the church, 
at some point you've probably coloured in a picture of Naaman or cut out a figure of Elijah. Uh, I, I was reminded of uh, Fuzzy Felts the other day, and uh, I'm thinking of my time in Sunday school, and the poor Sunday school teacher kept trying to stick up this Fuzzy Felt of Naaman and it falling off, and I'm pretty sure that I didn't actually learn anything about the text apart from why Naaman wouldn't stick to the Fuzzy Felt board. But I think the problem with a text like that is sometimes we can miss the details. We know the story, we know the narrative, we know the plot. But we miss the individuals. We miss the individual stories, the individual lives, the individual relationships with God. And so this morning, the argument I want to make to you is actually this text isn't about Elijah. It's not even really about Naaman. But it's about two nameless servants. Two people who enter the story and in very significant ways, change Naaman's life. They become the source of his healing. And so my challenge, I might as well say at the beginning and then I'll say at the end and then hopefully we'll remember, is that I believe our job as individuals, our job as the church, is to be like the nameless servants. To respond within the context that we find ourselves in. And to simply be obedient to what God puts in front of us. And so if you have a Bible in front of you, you may want to open, we'll be sort of uh, working through fairly systematically verse by verse. And so we read in verse 1 that Naaman is this great commander of this army, of the king of Aaron. I find it fascinating that, that at the start of this text, we're not dealing with God's chosen people. We're not dealing with the nation of Israel. We're not dealing with somebody who would have been seen as kind of holy and righteous. But this commander. And God had been using him in amazing ways to uh, give a particular um, a victory of a battle. And so he was a man of valor. He was a man of great reputation. He was a man that every woman, every mother would have hoped that their daughter would marry, that their son would become. But for all his military might, for all his valour, for all his reputation, but he had leprosy. This was the thing that ultimately defined him. This is the thing that people would have said about him behind his back. And so no matter how righteous he, how righteous he may be, no matter how many good deeds, no matter how useful he was, how much of a great military commander he was, his leprosy was the thing that would define him. This curse, this dark shadow, this cloud, would have rested over him in everything he did. Oh, Naaman did it. But he had leprosy. And so even in the very beginning of the text, we start to get a sense of the curse that leprosy is. That it rests over people's shoulders. That it defines them as to who they are. The reason why you would have uh, heard, maybe noticed, maybe you didn't, that throughout Sunday, we do not use the word leper. 
And the reason why is that we believe that nobody should be defined by their illness. That's not who they are. That's not the most important thing about them. And so when you use the word leper, then you're reducing somebody just to a disease. And unfortunately, time and time again, that's the reality that they face. And so we have Naaman, and uh, the uh, army of Aram have gone out into Israel, and a part of the spoils of war, they brought back this young Israelite girl as a trophy of war, and she's been forced into service into Naaman's wife. But there's something really interesting about this young Israelite girl, probably 11, 12 years old, suddenly put in this new situation. Everything she had hoped for in her life, all her dreams, all her plans, all her desires, ripped away from her when she was taken captive. Yet as she, as she um, becomes the servant girl of Naaman's wife, and she hears about Naaman's condition, she makes this amazing statement in verse 3. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Life had been cruel to her. She wasn't living the reality that she had hoped for. Yet in this moment, she sees the need. She knows that she has the solution, or that she can at least point to the source of Naomi's healing. And so she reaches out of her pain, out of her suffering, and points Naaman to the source of his healing. How many of us feel like that, nameless servant? Life hasn't panned out like we had hoped. The realities of our world may be different to what we had dreamed and desired. But in this moment we have a simple choice. Do I choose to be defined by my reality? Do I choose to wallow in my suffering? To look at all that I have lost, all that has been taken away from me? Or do I desire to reach out and transform the lives of those around me? And what I think is such an amazing example in this young girl is that she doesn't have great resources. She doesn't have money or wealth. She doesn't have power. She doesn't have a huge amount she can command at her fingertips but she can guide Naaman to the source of his healing. As Christians, is not our job, is not the reason that Christ has left his church here on earth, is so that we can go out into the world and we can point the world to the source of its healing. And so Naaman, he takes up the, um, the advice of the young girl, and he decides that he's going to go off. First he goes to see um, the king of Aram and he gets the blessing to go. And then we start reading all the details of everything that he's going to take with him. Yeah, sorry, reading in verse 5. So Naaman left taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. <coughs> Naaman is going out into Israel, out to access his healing. 
but he's doing it on his own terms. He's trying to display his power. He's trying to display how important he is. He's accessing healing using wisdom of the, uh, wisdom of the world. If other people think I'm important, if other people see how much power I command, how much wealth I can display, then surely they will help me. When we come to God, what is the attitude that we bear? Do we say, look how successful I am, how much power I command, how together my life is? Do we try and paper over the cracks and the brokenness, worrying that if we truly displayed who we are, God would somehow reject us? The reason why in the text that it lists everything that he's taken is because that's Naaman's coping strategy. It's Naaman's way of trying to deal with the curse of leprosy. And so not only does he go with the wrong attitude, but he goes with the wrong, uh, to the wrong person. We read in verse 7 that he goes to the king of Israel, not the prophet. And as soon as the king of Israel encounters Naaman and hears his request, He's so overwhelmed of what's being asked of him that he tears his clothes and says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send somebody to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with him. The king of Israel is overwhelmed of what is being asked of him. But he fails to remember that while he cannot cure Naaman of his leprosy, he knows of one that can. In our life, when we meet the need of the world, when we just look around us, I'm sure there's people in this church now, people in our lives, family members, neighbours, when we read the newspaper, when we look at the news, it's so easy to become overwhelmed by the need to think I can't do anything what difference can I make but we see this difference between the king of Israel and the Israelite girl the Israelite girl had nothing but she could point Naaman to the source of healing the king of Israel had wealth and power but he became overwhelmed at the need and did nothing to me it's a beautiful picture of how two very different people in two very different situations, one with great power, one with great wealth, one with nothing, respond so differently to the same need. I always find that a great challenge to me. And so again, Naaman gets up and he heads towards Elijah's house and he's met by a servant. And the servant tells him that all you need to do is go and wash in the Jordan and you'll be cleansed, you'll be clean. But Naaman gets mad. There's, again, wasn't the healing he was looking for. It wasn't tangible. It wasn't related to who he was. It wasn't connected in with that sense of respect, of honour that he felt that he was owed. It was too simple. It was too abstract for him. And so he gets mad, he storms off, he fails to participate. 
And then we see another nameless servant come alongside, meet him, explains to him, has this wonderful line. You know, if, if the prophet had waved his hand over the spot and said something, would you not have taken part in the healing? So Naaman decides that he's going to participate. He's going to take the advice. He's going to go to the Jordan. And so he bathes, he's cleansed. And then we get this wonderful line, this wonderful verse in verse 15. Naaman says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. When healing takes place, whether that's physical healing from MDT, multi-drug therapy, whether that's emotional healing from providing counselling, whether that's healing of that cycle of poverty that people with leprosy find themselves in through vocational training, training them up to have a career, to have something that allows them to break that cycle of poverty, whether it's working with communities so people with leprosy can be reintegrated again, whether it's running hospitals, clinics, whether it's sending out health workers out into the most remote parts of some of the countries we're working in Africa. Whatever that may look like, whatever that means, whether physical, social, emotional or spiritual, whenever healing takes place, there is always a revelation of God. At the Leprosy Mission, we do what we do because we're motivated by the love of God. And our hope, and our prayer, and our mission, and our commitment, and our passion is that we will go to wherever it is needed in the corners of the world. That we will be like that Israelite girl. That we will take up that challenge. That we will point people to the source of their healing. That we will meet them in that moment of need. And in doing so, we will allow them to see Jesus. And this isn't just a challenge for our workers, for our doctors, for our nurses, for our physiotherapists and occupational therapists. It's a challenge for us as a church to ask ourselves the question, how am I being that agent of hope, that beacon of light in the world that so desperately needs it? What does that mean for my neighbour? What does that mean for the person sitting next to me in the pew? What does that mean for the person sitting in a desk opposite me? How am I being that beacon of hope? That beacon of light, that agent of hope. What does that mean? And when we hear that challenge, when we choose to be like the Israelite girl, Healing takes place. A revelation of God is uh, had and God's kingdom is built. And so this morning I want to ask you a very simple question. Where do you see yourself in the text? Maybe you see yourself like Naomi. Maybe you need an encounter with God. Maybe you need healing. There's something in your life, there's some pain, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's social, and you need God to just meet you in that moment. And God is here. And God will do that. Maybe you're like the Israelite king. 
You see the need and your heart wants to respond, but you get so overwhelmed. There's such a sense of, oh, I can't make a difference. Or if I do for this charity, what about that charity? Or if I help this person, what about that person? Well, if that's the case, then God is here to break you free of that thinking. God wants to meet you. God wants to tell you it's okay. All I have ever asked you to do is to love the person that I put in front of you. Or maybe you're like the Israelite girl. Life has been hard. Life is tough. Life is difficult right now in this moment. But you're asking God, who is the people, or who are the people that you are putting in my life? What are the situation and the reality? that I can point somebody to the source of their healing. So whatever that looks like, whatever that means, whether that's giving to the Lepsy Mission, whether that's praying for us, whether it's volunteering for us, whether it's serving in your church, serving in a children's group, whether it's doing something for a neighbour, doing something for a loved one, whatever that actually looks like in your reality, in your context, may God bless you. May he pour his spirit out onto you. May he give you the boldness and the confidence to go into those situations. To be that agent of hope. To be that beacon of light. And as God blesses you, may you be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Almighty God, we know how easy it is to get overwhelmed in life. To get overwhelmed by the amount of need that there is. But we pray, God, just in this moment now, that you will meet us. That you will stir our hearts. That you will make us righteously angry for this vile disease leprosy. But that we won't become overwhelmed. We will be like that Israelite girl. We will seek to be that agent of hope, that beacon of light, that nameless servant, wherever you put us. In Jesus' name, Amen.